Welcome to our 15th Set the Month in Motion monthly podcast and forum produced in partnership with the City of Fremantle's Building Business Capacity Program. My name is Janisha Quinlan and I'm the CEO of the Fremantle Chamber of Commerce. I'd like to start today by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we gather, the Wajak people, and pay my respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Here in Fremantle, we celebrate our diversity and also the incredibly diverse industry base of our port city. Categorising the systems and growth of our businesses in a systematic way is difficult as our local businesses vary so greatly in their size and their capacity for growth. They are categorised by very different models, customer bases, organisational structures and a variety of different management styles. However, we know from the business literature that different problems arise at similar stages of growth, no matter what business you're in. And today we're going to explore the issue of how we anticipate and manage our systems to provide a platform from growth, from startup to national and international expansion. We are so fortunate here at the Chamber to also have an incredibly diverse membership base and uh, we have a panel today of three of our leading members and local business leaders who have led their organisations through change management systems and created significant growth outcomes in very different industries and of recent times in very difficult times as well. I'll introduce our panel one by one and we'll work through a few questions to discuss this very open and varied topic and then we'll turn to the floor and also if you have any questions for those uh, listening online, please feel free to type them in the comments section and Kelly will um, read them out as we go through the discussion. So first up on our panel we have Pete McCauley, Director of Kitchen Warehouse. Kitchen Warehouse is a household name here in WA and also here at the Chamber with Pete's dad, John, a long-standing board member and current trustee of the Chamber here in Fremantle. Pete, you lead the family's retail business um, and have guided the transformation of Kitchen Warehouse from a bricks and mortar Perth business with its original roots firmly here in Fremantle to a national retailer. Digital commerce has played an incredibly large part in the success of the expansion and this has become even more imperative in recent times and in the changing world in which we live. I understand when you're not working for the retail team, you also have a very diverse interest uh, in raising the family cattle at the farm down there. So Pete, the kitchen warehouse story in recent times is entrenched in technology investment and change integration. Obviously, the early days as a home provider very much focused on customer service. You've managed to, I guess, transform that original very retail base into a national business and have managed incredibly different systems to enable you to achieve that. Can you talk us through, I guess, some of that change and shift in how you've managed those systems, maintaining that customer service and retail focus, but also adding that warehousing and digital and technology systems to the business? Thanks, Denisha, and great to be here. Great question. Um, uh, look, I, I think firstly, technology should be an enabler of providing great service rather than being, you know, one or the other. So certainly, you know, in the, in the current climate, technology is something that, you know, and for us in a retail business, enables our staff with confidence to say, well, we might have this product in stock here or we'll have this product available in so many days. So I, I think as the business has transformed, we've put in the best systems that we've been able to afford or find to facilitate that growth. And it's challenging as the business grows because what's right for the business now may not be right in a year or two years time. So I think having that attitude of 
revisiting the systems and technology that's in place for the business and adapting as the business grows is, is critical to, to, to facilitating that growth and, and having that smooth transition. Mm, absolutely. I'm interested in your point too around finding systems that the business can afford because obviously, you know, there's a couple of models and, and you know, capital is required in, in any change and any growth. Do you believe that Kitchen Warehouse has been able to incrementally grow and invest in the systems over time or was there a point that you went, no, this is it, we're now going to jump to here? Yeah, uh, look, that's, that's, a, that's a really, again, interesting question and I'll un unpick that in a, in a couple of ways. I think, um, I think firstly, you know, businesses and no matter what size are, are really spoilt for choice with the systems that are available now and, and the move to the cloud and software as a service, um, you know, to, for a small business to be able to deploy, for example, Shopify or Xero in, in a matter of days or, or at most weeks gives them the capabilities that only five years ago might have only been, been, been something that big business could afford. So, um, you know, spoilt for choice. I, I think um, uh, in terms of choosing something and deciding this is what we're sticking to, um, it feels like we rebuild everything two or three years to accommodate, accommodate where, we're, where, where we are at, even though we thought that we'd chosen uh, the, the right thing five or ten years ago. What we found in our business is we did choose quite early to shift onto a cloud-based uh, ERP system, NetSuite, um, and over time when we've exhausted the capabilities of its particular function, then we bolt on a best of breed solution for, for example, replenishment or for um, warehouse management. So we, we still have that single system as a core and then as we outgrow the capabilities of that basic system, we then bolt on best of breed solutions to, to augment that, that. That bolting on and that, I guess, technology base of that system. As you make those changes, how do you then develop the physical, I guess, warehousing and system support that sits? So you obviously are led by the technology change and then does everything kind of fall into line from there? Look, I, I think change management's a, a, a tough one and, and something that we've always felt we could do better at, but, but as, a, as a growing business, you sort of just, <laughs> I don't want to say fumble your way through, because that, that might be not, not quite what happens, but you know, I, I'm not sure that we've got the resources to say we're going to document everything and we're going to see how this impacts someone and see you know, th this particular process and, and you know, manage that change. A as you get bigger, it becomes much more important because there's more people in the organisation. But to be honest, in the early days, you know, I think a lot of it, particularly if you're a smaller business, as the business owner, you need to learn and understand that function. You know, that, that's really your job and, and you, you, know, you need to learn, understand that function, find an appropriate solution based on that knowledge and, you know, be hands-on with the change management and, 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 and deploy and, and I guess then try and put yourself out of a job in as far as your knowledge of that part of the business and, and bringing someone on board that, 
that perhaps knows it better. It's a really interesting point you make and I think a lovely segue um, into introducing Danielle, who's our, our next panellist. Um, Danielle is the Managing Director of per Process Works, um, has built, founded and built that business over a number of years, um, a human resource company that specialises in helping smaller organisations with human resource management. Danielle has over 20 years experience in people management, industrial relations across Australia, the United Kingdom and the United States. Danielle graduated with a Bachelor of Economics Honours degree and completed the Department of Productivity and Labor Relations graduate program. Danielle is a regular guest lecturer at Curtin University School of Business, the University of Western Australia, and has developed and delivered human resource training on behalf of Rural Edge. Danielle, one of the things I think Pete was just referring to is as businesses grow and leaders grow, we probably do find ourselves fun, I guess, fumbling through a couple of stages along the way. And so integrated in both technological systems or physical change or product development is a human element. Um, and we can't build systems without taking, I guess, people along for the ride with us. Um, you've watched many companies through growth phases and grappling, I guess, moving from some of that direct supervision to supervised supervision or in Pete's words, to eventually indirect control and putting someone else uh, in there. How do we avoid overstaffing and developing appropriate systems to sustain growth through these periods? I think, <clears throat> I, look, I think one of the things I've realised over time is that you always think you need more than what you do, okay? Particularly in growing business. So, so many businesses I see staff up too early and, and then it hits their, their costs and their profitability and everything else. So I think what you've got to really look at is how can we get the absolute best out of the people we've got? Um, and, and that means that you've got to get the best people in the first place. And so really, I, I'm really passionate about process and systems right from the recruitment process all the way through. But if you make sure you have a really good robust recruitment process, you actually know what the person is going to be doing. And it is hard at times because when you're a growing business, the position can change and roles can change and trying to keep on top of that. But it's so important just to have a position description, even if that's something you review um, every six months that you do have a certain level of systems and processes that people can follow because you can't always be there and there needs to be consistencies. And you need to know that if you're not there directly supervising someone, they're still going to deliver the customer service the way you want that done. Um, and so to probably the two main areas I see in businesses staffing up too quickly um, and just not having simple processes and systems and the reason people don't have systems um, in place is they think that they're going to have to get an expert consultant in or they're going to have to be really detailed. And they don't have to be. They can be literally written on bits of paper so people know what they're doing. And I think the other piece of it is, is just feedback then. So if you see something you're not happy with, give that feedback. If you see something you are happy with, give that feedback and realise that it doesn't matter what you're selling, the most important thing I passionately believe in your business is your people. And if you get that bit right, the other stuff will fall in place. And be prepared that sometimes you will recruit wrong and sometimes you're flogging a dead horse and then you do need to move people on. And don't, you know, don't, don't have someone who's unproductive just sitting there not doing anything. You know, you wouldn't let like a broken down car sit there rotting away. Or your IT system. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so really so that, that's probably my insights in terms of what I see in terms of growth. And what people systems do you believe are essential to be successful so, in business? I think basically, like I said, a very 
from the very start, you need contracts of employment in terms of you know making sure that people know what they're doing. Um, you need position descriptions. You need your basic human resource policies and procedures suites, which is absolutely critical now um, with the legislation changes. You need your basic safety management systems and suites. And then you just need to make sure that from that position descriptions, the core bits of that person's job can be followed in some kind of system, some kind of process. So that that's as a as basic. The other thing I'd always recommend is every year, hopefully you do do your performance reviews, uh, and quite often people don't do them, they avoid them, but I think it's important to do them for as much as giving feedback to the employee member, but to also review the position. And it's a chance to get the person to update their own position description, and then you actually know what they're doing. So that's what I would say would be key. Particularly I imagine in this where things are changing a lot and as Pete was saying you're introducing new systems or new technology and the roles do shift over a period of they time. Yeah, yeah, and absolutely. people shift and people grow and sometimes the role will move in a way that the person hasn't got the capabilities to move into that role and that's when you have to have the courage to do something about it. Which is got which an is old hard. colleague that said, "Take a long time getting them in, and a really quick time getting yeah, them out." Yeah. <laughs> I think that's probably pretty good advice. And I guess um, our next panelist, Phil, an amazing story as the commercial manager at Gage Roads down the down the road, and, and named after one of our iconic parts of Fremantle. Um, I guess we've talked a little bit about growing a business incrementally, and we've talked about the people that enable that to happen. Um, your expertise at, at Gage Roads has involved both of those things, but also incredibly large capital and commercial decisions to enable growth both nationally um, and now internationally. Phil McClintock is a chartered accountant and chartered company secretary with over 15 years experience um, across a variety of industries, including banking, mining, utilities, and most recently, FMCG. Uh, for the last seven years, you've been responsible for the financial control and commercial function of Gage Roads Brewing Company WA's largest brewer, and I guess a true Fremantle success story. Um, during your tenure, obviously Gage Roads has grown um, both locally, nationally and internationally. Um, you're a strong believer in the value of data-driven decision-making, and I think that feeds really strongly into today's conversation around systems. Um, you've been the architect of the systems infrastructure at Gage Roads, driving continuous improvements, which have become the foundations of how um, the success has been achieved. The ability to use data to understand and maximise your competitive advantage um, is huge, and obviously, along with the technology um, and accessibility that we've been talking about, to put sort of the hands of data into um, I guess smaller businesses and that it has levelled the playing field but I think there's still, you know, the scale that Gage Roads has and the growth that you've had I think is a really interesting starting point for today's conversations. Um, we've heard both technological and human, I guess, systems that can drive some success. What systems do you believe have given the greatest return on investment for Gage Roads over the last seven years? Yeah, I'd say for us, you know, Gage Roads at its core is a customer-focused business and that's what we put. So every, you know, we have, a, we have a story that we'll have a meeting and we'll actually pull the chair of the customer there at the end of the table and we'll talk to the customer to try and understand exactly and put their insight into any conversation. So that's, that's sort of a large part of what we do. So to relate that to systems really comes back to the ability to, to sort of give the customer what they need. So our systems internally, we, we implemented a system a few years ago and it's just a, a business intelligence tool um, and it captures data from all of our individual systems and we use that to spot distribution gaps or, or points of we're able to go and sit with the customer and show our product sales in their postcode, in their region. 
be able to show to that customer that, hey, listen, if you put a brand like Single Fin on tap, every other bar in your precinct that has Single Fin is going through X amount of kegs a week, this is a no-brainer. So we try to use the systems and, and, and specifically speaking, this business intelligence tool to sort of value add rather than simply just tell us how we performed last month. You know, all of that sort of stuff is, is fantastic, but is that going to help us sell more? Is that going to help us, you know, improve our customer service? So really service? using the data to start conversations and to, I guess, demonstrate um, in particular from a sales perspective where things are going across. Exactly. It's, it's, it's all around if, if the data is only there or the systems are only there to capture data to tell us how you went, that's great. That's one part of the puzzle and that's fantastic. If you're not using it to add value to your business and, and really drive improvement, then it's only doing half the job. And you work in a business, I guess, where there's, uh, it's a very divisionalised business, so you've often got sales and marketing teams and production teams yep. and... Uh, no silos. <laughs> no. <laughs> and they understand each other perfectly yep. at all times. Um, how do you manage that tension between sales and marketing, I guess, in production and quality um, in a business like yours, and how do you use systems to do that? Yeah, it's really the system slash the process. So, so just having, you know, we don't, Gage Roads is not a business of, of, you know, SLAs between departments and, you know, we're, although we've grown and, you know, you know we are relatively large in, in the scheme of things at the moment, it hasn't come overnight and it hasn't come without its issues. And I think that that, that has led us to just communication above all else. So, you know, we don't let the computers talk to the people. You know, we'll convene a meeting, we'll chat that through. And so reliance on the systems for us is, is one part of it, but communication above all else. Excellent. Phil mentioned, I guess, some complexities and you've got a number of different products across your product line and likewise Pete Kitchen Warehouse you've got you know a number of I guess different areas and different products that move over periods of time how do you manage systems with either introducing new products or growing quite a complex product mix over time either one of you want to tackle that one uh, look I guess retail is quite a specific area in, in how, how we deal with that um, but you know I think Building systems to handle the replenishment is is, is critical. Um, and by replenishment, you mean when stocks out and you need to find something new? Is that uh, look, I, I think in terms of finding something new, that's still a very traditional hands-on. Pick up the phone, the buyers call, call vendors and see you know see see what's around. But it's more you know if if we carry ten thousand items and we've got fifteen locations, it's it's you know that's one hundred and fifty thousand different. You know, uh, uh, replenishment points that we that we need to manage. So um, that and do you do that centrally, or do yes, you? Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. So that 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 was a transition when we moved from being, I guess, a hands-on brick-and-mortar business where the store manager would have. And th there's nothing wrong with that, you know, when you're at an appropriate scale where a store manager knows. You know, nearly every item in the store and how <laughs> oh, much look, they sell. Oh, we're running low on sources. Yeah. This way, um, yeah, yeah. But, but obviously, once you scale up, they're, they're the type of um, specific areas where you need to find that best of breed solution again that fits within the budget to to manage that. So, and again, you know, I think as as the business owner, particularly when you're going through that growth stage, or at least that's what I've found, rather than perhaps affording to get a consultant to come in to recommend what you probably thought was going to be best for your business anyway, I think it's really 
you don't need to become an expert in these areas, but you need to build a, a knowledge that lets you make informed decisions on what's going to be right for your so business. So on that replenishment example, you have a system that sort of says red alert, I don't know, in mm. my read, running yep. out of X, <laughs> um, and then you use a centralised sort of warehousing system to get stuff out. Mm. Uh, so, so in our business, it's a mix of uh, what, what, what you'd call vendor um, uh, vendor deliveries or vendor replenishment. So um, our wholesalers shipping uh, direct into each store, and every one of those wholesalers will have different lead times. So, you know, if it's a wholesaler here in Perth, it might take three or four days. If it's a wholesaler out of Sydney, it might take ten days to get into Perth. So, you know, the system to manage how much safety stock you, you wish to carry, how long the lead time is, you know, what your fill rate might look like. So, um, again, probably a little bit specialist to the, to the retail uh, industry, but, um, you know, it's important. You, you've got to be in stock. Crucial, yeah, <laughs> you're not absolutely. In stock. And just even as you're describing that, the complexities of a system that enable you to do that across the number of stores you have across Australia is quite yeah, extraordinary. Yeah, and I think that's a good example of, where we started with a base system which might have just said, okay, when we sell down to two units on hand, then order six more and it just, you know, it's quite a simple system whereas, you know, eventually that starts to become, you know, um, not, not productive for the business or, or we outgrow that type of system and, and that's okay and you work with what you've got until you really feel that you've outgrown that and then, you know, as I said before, we then bolt on a, you know, best of breed, um, solution for handling that. And Phil, some of your product complexity comes from bringing out new products yeah, all the definitely. time. So you not only then have to convince the customer to replenish and then you've got to convince them to buy it in the first place and then all that distribution arm. How do you go about that, that planning for new products and knowing what's working, what's not, what you pull, what you introduce as part of that? Yeah, so uh, generally it'll come to the brewers, we'll, we'll come up some new crazy idea and then you know, myself and the finance guys will have to bring that back down into reality and, and then ideally we get the product, most of the time they win. Um, but yeah, there's, there's definitely a process even down to the creation of a barcode. Little complexities along that process that, that you know, we go through the artwork 15 times just to make sure that everything ticks every box. Um, so it is, it is arduous at times, but it's, again, it's just continuous improvement. It's that idea of, of how we did things last time, then you do a post-mortem on that exercise and understand what did we do well, what, do, what can we improve next time and try and implement that change for the next go round. Um, but it's definitely you know, more to what Pete said in, in the sense of, of the systems and you're outgrowing those, you know, it's almost a continuous and a, at a certain point in time you have a step change mm -hmm. and that step change might be to further invest up into the next level of... of and that step change, I think, is something I'm really interested in is how as a business when you're growing, do you know it's the right time for that step change? Is it market driven? Is it reassurance that you've got enough customers in your base? Is it people driven because a leader decides that with his heart or her heart and soul that that's the direction we need to go in? Interested from anyone from the panel just about that sense in a business of where you take, when you take it, what, what does the business feel like or look like around that time? From my experience, I think it often comes around when there's real pain 
in the business and there's, it gets to a certain point of pain point and you have a certain amount of people complaining and things aren't working right and there's inefficiencies and that tends to be when you, and then you kind of push it a little bit further and then that's when you move to that next, that's just in my experience. Yeah. I don't know so if quite you're internally driven almost. Yeah, so we're actually in the middle of the step change. Hey. <laughs> the, yeah. <laughs> Not bad, it's great, it's fantastic, I love it. Um, but yeah, we're, we're currently in the middle of that. So we, Gage Rose is a business, you know, really been focused on product and customer for a long period of time and, and back of house of really just had to make do um, and we've done an amazing job with the tools that we've had and, and you know I think one of the things is is over our journey really just jumping to this now we're actually moving to NetSuite as we speak but and which is a great product and, and highly recommended from my limited time. What does it do Pete? Oh, sorry Phil. So it does it the best bit about it as Pete said is that the bolt-ons and now Zero is another product that's a little bit further down that has a lot of bolt-ons and that was where our existing system, our previous system, really ran into the wall because I ran out of bolt-ons. Um, but we had, there's little systems like Expensify which, you know, just does your credit card reconciliations. We had, you know, purchase order system, we had an account, an asset-based system that did your depreciation schedules. The total sort of investment in one of those in a year would be, within all of those systems, was probably sub 10 grand. So not out of the realms of affordability for a lot of businesses and, and they just they were little step changes in certain systems and processes to create an efficiency around that specific system or process but ultimately we got to a point recently where we realized that we've got all of these minor step changes in individuals but the core was probably not where it needed to be mm -hmm. so we took the big change and we've carried a lot of those old those existing systems with us into the new NetSuite system because these new software as a service businesses and, and these so things like Microsoft Dynamics or NetSuite are all built to grow and they will work for a retail outlet as well as a manufacturer, mm -hmm. as well as an exporter, as well as a restaurant. It, it's the, the functionality of them at their core and accounting system, mm -hmm. but the bolt-ons around it are what make it functional for your business. And, and I think that's the modern thinking with, with technology and, and technology within a business is, you know, it's a, it's a microservice or a, 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 a adaptable architecture where, you know, it tends to be that the finance or financial inventory probably is the, the core. So, and whether that's a zero or a net suite or a, a netto, they're, they're probably the, the three ones that, that would sort of span that small to, to, to medium size businesses and then being able to bolt on the best of breed um, specific and whether that's for you know again customer service management or and depending on your type of business right like a you know if it's a marketing business it might you know be a different you know area where you're going to find that best of breed solution to a retailer to a manufacturer etc. It's really interesting though that you've both described in that integral system component is very much entrenched in the financial system within the organisation. I think a lot of businesses, as they grow, get very focused on, you know, what does our website look like? Or I'm about to grow and I'm about to put on 20 new people. But unless you've got the right infrastructure, I imagine, for managing that core function, which is what is being in businesses about, is how we manage our, our products and our finances and, and that growth from there and from that central point is really interesting. Thank you for that. To the floor, does anyone have any specific questions? Or Kelly, have you got any online as yet? I'll keep going then, a few, a few mine, because I could keep going on all day with mine. <laughs>
We've talked a little bit about the people systems for growth, just even in the way you were describing some of those decisions. Leadership takes a big role in taking, moving people from that pain to, to that next point of growth. From your perspectives, does it always have to be some kind of leadership crisis almost that sends us to the next point or do you believe businesses can incrementally grow with leaders focused across all of those different stages of a business? I think people, I think leaders can incrementally grow, but just not all the time. Um, so I think, you know, I certainly know just in terms of my my business in that um, it's, you know, in the early years, it took a couple of, you know, crises to take it to that next level. But then in over more recent years, I think, because we learnt through that experience and have become much more aware of our weaknesses and where we can kind of fall off the rails that we've been able to manage it. So. I, I do think, but I, I think any anyone, I don't know what you guys think, but I think if, if you start a business from nothing and you create something, you're going to have crises. You just, you, and I think you either succeed or fail at those times and often it is systems related. Yeah, look, I, I think um, no doubt. Because you have a family dynamic thrown into all of that leadership <laughs> oh. crisis as well. <laughs> no, it's, um, look, I think, I think one of the big learnings for us is, you know, and, and you sort of think you've got it, and, and, but, but having the very clear vision, values and strategic direction for the business that everyone can align behind and everyone's very clear on exactly where you're going. I think starts to, you, you no doubt still have crises, you know, we, we've got a, you know, obviously the pandemic at the moment, who saw that coming? But, um, you know, if, if there's a very clear vision, values and strategic direction for the business that everyone can align behind, that ideally takes some of that away and it's not controlled chaos. Instead, we're all focused on and we're, we all know where we're going. And as a leader, I think charting that course is, is the single, you know, mo most important thing that you do. Um, and it doesn't have to be harder, you know, there's some systems and methodologies out there, you know, EOS um, is, is one that comes to mind that will help to, you know, there's a 10, I think a 10 point questionnaire that you go through just, just prompting you to think about what you've got in place for your business. Um, so, you know, encourage, you know, the business owners to make sure there's that one pager that everyone within the business understands and can follow to, 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 to see that path and to understand the vision that I'm sure is in, in, in your own mind as a business owner or leader and make sure that everyone's aligned to that. And it's very tempting, I think, when there is such a suite of different systems and different ways a business can go to try to be all things to all people. And I think you're right in that staying true to that very core vision and of where the business needs to go and not trying to be all things to all people, but really understanding your own market. And I guess for, for Gage Roads, different, you know, there's a lot of beer out there at the moment. Um, how easy is it to continue to navigate that path through leadership of what your vision and values are as Gage Roads as opposed to the plethora of other beers that are out there? Yeah, it is. I mean, it's a, it's a hyper-competitive market mm -hmm. and, and sort of we feel like our business presents something, as every business thinks, something that the others don't. Um, and it does take it. It does take a sort of you know stalwart. It takes you know individuals who are prepared to stay the course you know against that strategy. And for us, you know, we want to be a, a major player in, in the national beer market, but also a representative business, representative West Australian business, and, and really show you know we know what those East Coasters think of us. So we want to we want to do our best to to show them otherwise. So I think for us, 
yeah, it is that strategic vision and then it's about underneath that the systems and the foundations that support that. So if our, if our strategic vision is to become a major beer player in the Australian market, then we need the IT infrastructure and the systems that are going to support that growth. So having that strategy and then saying, okay, what are the pieces of the puzzle that I need in order to achieve that strategy? And for us, one of them was our new packaging line that we've implemented. So that major strategic play. Then another one is new brewery. So we're opening up a brewery in Redfern over in Sydney. Um, we've got, you know, we knew that our, our interaction with our customers, there was, it just wasn't as good as it could be. So we want frictionless interaction. We want the customers to be able to order from us just as the easiest thing they do in the day. It's, it's almost enjoyable. So we put inside a system, inside NetSuite, that facilitates that interaction with our customers. And all the way along, the pieces of the puzzle, but it all needs to lead into that strategy and, and where we're looking to go to. That's fantastic. And I guess too, Matt, that packaging system and a new brewery, incredible investment in capital to enable that growth to happen. Um, confidence in the systems and the people that you had to take yourself on that path, or did you have to embark on quite an almost separate part of the business to both fund that growth strategy, but also resource it? How did that come about? Yeah, again, it comes down to it's, it's that inflection point between is it painful or will it work? And for us, quality, again, is, is, is a major component. And do we have the best equipment to deliver the quality, whether that's quality of service or quality of product? Um, and we found that both times it's, it's an easy sell. You know, it's not hard to get across an investment that you can justify will improve a key strategic pillar of your business and, and that's what it came back to for us. So it wasn't, we didn't have to go on a, on a big selling journey and, and, you know, and sit with the board and explain that this is what we expected to do to quality and if we're not able to deliver that quality to our, quality to our customers, then what are we in this for? Um, and that was sort of, and same from the, from the IT side, it was different parts obviously, one is more operationally focused and, and very much what goes in the bottle focused. The other one is more how we interact and, and do our employees like coming to work and dealing with a system that doesn't, you know, makes things cumbersome for them and isn't as good as a job we can do for them as leaders for the individuals in the businesses. You know, we have things right now with, with uh, you know, and I'd highly recommend anyone look at this, uh, this OCR reading systems, which is simply an invoice comes in and it can scan an invoice and put that into your accounting system for you with zero, with zero human interaction apart from just an approval. And... That sort of things means I've got, you know, my accounts payable lady thinks I'm a hero. Yeah. Mm. You know, I'll take that. But it's, you know, it's just that, that sort of thing makes people's jobs easier. They enjoy coming to work and therefore they give that extra 10%. It's so interesting you say that because even in, I think we mentioned one of the earlier podcasts, we were just talking about creating customer experiences and external experiences and how much of that relies on the internal systems working so people are actually able to smile and to deliver and all of those things. And, um, you know, I think we all underestimate just how important our systems are and that they're working and functioning to enable customers to get their products, but also that the experience is consistent and streamless. Yeah. And yeah. to get the best out of your people. Yeah. I mean, I think that fundamentally, like you said, you know, if you've, if you, oh, I go into so many businesses where people are frustrated and stressed and everything else, and you can make some really simple changes where your people are happier. And if your people are happier and engaged, then the quality of how they're going to interact with the customers is going to be so much greater. Mm -hmm. 
So I think it's looking at that, yeah, really looking at from an internal point of view. Absolutely. Is, is really key. And I, it also leads me to my next question, um, Danielle, around, and I, I might ask Pete this one, but taking it from that internal focus, at some point in growth you have to bring in third parties, be that Australia Post to deliver your stuff, be it, you know, perhaps another trucking company, be it a courier company. You know, often we get the internal right and then we have to bring third parties into that to enable our businesses to work. Pete, You've had some issues through COVID, I understand, you know, getting the demand was there. Everyone was baking bread and doing all sorts of crazy things and needing your products. You're relying on third parties to deliver that. How do you get those systems right? <laughs> you don't. <laughs> it's, um, that, that, that's, that's been a real challenge for us and I'm not sure there's a, an easy answer. I think, you know, ideally partnering... Um, with third parties that have the same mindset, um, you know, around, you know, technology and, and, you know, technology being an adjunct to, to delivering fantastic service. Um, sad to say, you know, that's it's not necessarily always the case. And, um, you know, there's still a lot of, unfortunately for us, a lot of manual work. And, you know, I mean, bless Australia Post, they're, they're doing their best and un obviously under a lot of pressure. But I guess, you know, they've got massive legacy systems that, um, don't deliver a customer experience, perhaps, that, that, that we would hope for. Um, similarly to, to some of our vendors, you know, again, you know, there's a lot of manual work involved, so um, I'd love to have a, a great answer for that. <laughs> but, but um, Phil, Gage Rose, do you choose to use third parties or do you manage the whole sort of supply chain yourself? No, full supply chain, but it's, it's about, you know, for us, they're our customer who we choose to put the goods on the back of whoever's truck, it's our responsibility to deliver. And that, you know, in a lot of instances, the last experience a customer has with you is through that third party. So taking that responsibility internally and, and making sure that your partners understand their objectives and then creating KPIs and ways to manage them. And, and you know, we will sit with our, our third party providers once a quarter and we'll discuss with them, you know, times at which they failed, what their process improvement to get around that. You know, sometimes you have to move. Sometimes you ha you have to shift away. But but ultimately, it's it's again expectation management or or whatever you need to do with these guys to make them operate. Because every rail trucking company or postage service courier service will will run into issues. But the expectation management for us is is where it comes into, and then just keeping those communication lines open. The last thing you want is a customer calling you that they didn't get their product, but you know your trucking company knew that wasn't going to happen four days ago. Um, so it's, it's, but again, it's that for us, it, the responsibility sits with us to get that product to that customer and if whoever I choose is, is, is up to us. And so therefore, I think it's something you need to own internally. It's so important and I think as our businesses grow in particular, as our technology grows, the warehousing, the trucking, the getting product to market, even getting it to export markets, it strikes me that that's the one area of business that we don't often have a lot of control over but is going to be an essential part of the way we do business into the futures. And I guess back to your original point, Phil, some of the data and tracking and performance stats that you have to start those conversations must be so important. Yeah, definitely. And that's, and that's really, for us, we, we try to get APIs, so integrations with our, with our transport providers, so we can see the status of our product on the journey, similar to when you're ordering something off eBay. Yeah. Um, but again, we have someone run through that. Is every truck going to hit its ETA? If not, let's get in front of that customer. Because most, 
you know, everyone's been around and, and understands that trucks are going to miss their DC slot or whatever it yeah. might be, but ultimately it's, it's the communication is where people get frustrated. If you can communicate clearly with your customer and set their expectations, then you're fine. And that still strikes me as being quite a, a manual and a hands-on part of the journey. Um, you know, you can have all the systems in the world tracking things, but knowing when to pick up the phone, knowing when to send an email, they still must be fairly almost intuitive manual systems, would you say, Danielle? I, I think you can't. One of the things I always say to my staff and to clients and everything is, is just don't avoid getting on the phone. Like, exactly what you say. If something's not working or there's, there's going to be a problem or there's some kind of miscommunication, just ring and speak. And I think that, and that's hard because often people that are very good at systems and very good at implementing systems and bringing systems into a business are not very good on the phone. But it's really important um, in terms of your, your people to be able to understand that. It is really, really important to, you know, there's points in time where you do need to actually talk and explain. You, you can't rely on the system completely because systems will break. You know, um, and but the result of the relationship in terms of how it is afterwards, after something's broken, depends very much on how you've dealt with that situation. Absolutely. Pete, do you have almost people dedicated to help manage the little breakdowns in the system along the way? Or is that sort of everybody's responsibility and job to, to pick up the phone and manage it as it goes? Uh, uh, look, certainly we have our, our service team and, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're very proactive in uh, managing, you know, ideally things don't go wrong, but they do at times. You know, I think uh, as a rule, most human beings are relatively rational and understanding and if if there is a hiccup, if you're on the front foot um, and you communicate with customers proactively that, hey, we're having a delay because of this or we're having a challenge because of this, please please be patient. I, I think, you know, I think under-promising and over-delivering is always a, a wise maxim to follow. It's a great motto for life too, isn't it, that I think I fail to manage most of mine. <laughs> but yeah, I looked at that proactive communication to customers is, is, you know, and, and, you know, obviously, you know, at a, at a more micro level, you know, picking up the phone, you know, obviously when you get to a bit more scale, even if it's via email, worst case, but just being proactive in your communication with customers when, when things perhaps aren't quite going to plan is generally most people understand. We had an interesting conversation in last month's um, Set the Month in Motion where we were just talking about the conversion from bricks and mortar to online and there was a lot of talk about automation of marketing and automation to, to streamline things along the way. Where's the balance between, I guess, automating those kinds of things and in a large organisation enabling enough flexibility to offer something tailored or personal? Mm. Yeah, but, but particularly in e-commerce, personalisation is is a big, you know, buzzword. And um, uh, you know, certainly putting someone's first name in a subject line is probably better than not. But but uh, but I think if that's where where it extends to, you know, uh, you know, our inboxes are so you know, and email is probably the typical example of where people will, will speak to personalisation and and the way we communicate with our customers at scale. Um, but people aren't silly either, you know. Uh, you know, it's so. 
it's a really tricky one and it's an evolving situation. It's something we're grappling with ourselves as well, right? It's, a, it's easy to say, well, we've prepared this email with all of our specials in it. Let's just send it to everyone because we've done the work to prepare it. But people get so much, uh, you know, communication these days and, you know, it's easy to, to, to think, well, let's just send it to everyone. We'll see what, you know, result we get. But, you know, maybe customers just want one really awesome piece of communication a month that speaks to them or tells a genuine story or engages them rather than four emails a week telling, you know, <laughs> just with a generic, like, you know, we've, we've got 70% off whatever it might be, but I'm not interested in, you know, and, and I'll just shut off to your messaging. Um, so so I, th I think, you know, more of less or less is more yeah, absolutely. Um, is important you know if, if I speak to that personalization because I think you know for, for me at least I think and again from my perspective of, of retail people are just bombarded at the moment and I think um, having some genuine communication with your customers and maybe less frequently might get more impact than... So not to get too excited with what the system allows you to do, but really think about how you well, do Well, I think it. genuine personalisation is incredibly tough. Because, Phil, really you were tough. mentioning that, you know, even with your third-party suppliers, that you gather them together fairly regularly in a room. That's fairly labour-intensive, I would imagine. Is that kind of the way you've driven a lot of the model, is to try and find ways to engage, as um, Pete said, in a very genuine face-to-face -face way or do you still have some reliance on the automation and the... There's still reliance on the automation to facilitate the discussion in the sense of the, the data that's collected becomes the core of the conversation and, and for us it's, it's around have automating processes to divert those resources you would otherwise spend collecting the information, divert those into the value add. So similar to the sales reporting tools, it's about let's spend the time not doing the arduous entering of an invoice or the arduous collecting the sales report that might take a day to, to collate, automate that and then spend that day on the insights or the meeting with our suppliers and use that time to value add to your customers, to your, your supplier relationship or whatever it might be. And that's really where we're trying to drive is let's not do the, the, the sort of boring data entry, let's spend all of that time on, on really creating a better business for us and our customers. And, and I think that's a really good point about systems in that systems should allow you more time to do the things that you can only really do as a human. You know, so if you're, like you say, getting, getting rid of that whole invoice, you know, and be able to scan that in, and that gives so much more time where your, you know, accounts lady might be more effective ring out talking to people about overdue accounts, yep. which is a really human thing to do, and getting on the phone is far more effective than sending another letter. That's a great example. Mm. Yeah, I agree with you completely on that one. I think it's a really good insight, Danielle. Um, any other questions coming through? Kevin. Um, we talked a lot about growth and everything, but is there a sweet spot knowing when to stop? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I find all this growing. I find all this growing quite tiring, really. <laughs> so, yeah, and um, just knowing when to stop when you're at your optimum, knowing that, I mean, is that financially or is that just, well, this is manageable? You know, probably for Phil and Pete. More. Well, well I, think, um, I think, again, and, and I'll point to that um, EOS methodology and there's similar methodologies. I think it's being clear, you know, for yourself, what, what am I looking to get out of it? You know, is, is it a business that suits my lifestyle 
um, and then aligning the business vision, values, and objectives behind that. Um, you know, there's some really tough, you know, and we've been through some really tough places where you go from being quite a comfortable local business to the, the, there's this big chasm you need to cross that's really tough and, and often it sounds attractive when you when you start out on that path and you're like, geez, we should have just stopped. Yeah, yeah. Too many Why people, too many problems. So I think I think being able to alliterate and, and really, um, you know, get, get down on paper what, what do I want? What what do I want for myself in terms of the business and and you know the lifestyle it provides me and um, you know I guess you know create the vision that that, that aligns to that. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. For for us, it's a, you know the end is never in sight at the moment. But I think you know the idea of if you are doing something, what would this look like if it was easy? And so, therefore, if, if you're not seeking further growth but you want more time back in your lifestyle, what would it look like if it was easier? And so that may be automation. It may be not doing, only dealing with your top 20% of customers, which generate, in most instances, your top 80% of revenue. Um, so let the 80% of other customers go to the side and just focus on that, whatever it might be for your specific set of circumstances. For me, it's what would it look like if it was easy? And that really was the driver behind our systems change, was it what would this look like if it was easy? Such an important point. And, you know, that point of pain, I think someone once gave me some great advice around if it feels really painful, it's probably not the right path. Like, <laughs> you've actually got to find a way. You can't just keep pushing through the pain, as I often will, and hope that it's just going to get better at some point in time. And I think we've all been guilty of that. And I think also, to Kevin's point, you know, the literature certainly points to as leaders and as business leaders, we need to understand what it is that we are trying to do. And it may be a great thing to grow a business to an international level because that feels like it would be a really good thing to do. But is that why we started the business? What is it that we really started the business for? And is it about the people and just ensuring that we have a great team delivering what they perceived to be the very core values of the organisation or if we've got a board and it's a you know massive company that requires an incredible amount of turnover you have to be focused on keeping generating that growth in order to sustain the beast that's sort of been created I guess so um, very different stages in organisations and I guess very different pain points um, depending on what's at stake in some of those things. Any other questions? Is there a process or method? Just, just wait for the microphone. Yeah. Is there a process or methods to choose what systems uh, works for your business and how do you decide and at what point that system might work or not? And how do you get out if it's not working, I guess, is the other that's, really big question. That's, that's, a, that, that, that's a, great, uh, it's a great question. I, I'm not sure if I've got a succinct answer to it, but, you know, I, I think having the mindset of this modular architecture of, of, of systems um, and choosing the best of breed for what your is, is most important to your business and whether that's because you're customer facing or you're a retailer or so um, you know as opposed to perhaps in the past where you had to choose choose a system and you're stuck with it and, and it's like pulling wisdom Especially teeth. a lot of the old custom-built systems mm. that were so unwieldy and you ended up being stuck mm. with them because they simply cost so much to put mm. together in the first yeah. place. And, and that's really that, that, that big mind, mind shift and technology's just advanced so quick where technology was almost a necessary evil and now that, that the mindset is, well, technology's there to deliver 
better experience to customers or, or, or to, to, to enable the business to be more nimble. So, um, so I, I think you could do a lot worse than choosing something like zero as, as, a, as a core. And then there's just a plethora of options to then bolt on to, to augment for your particular business. And a lot of these things you can just try before you buy. You, you can you know, so, you know, click on a button, try it out, see how it works for your business. Um, and I think you, you know when you've outgrown some of the... the, the, the outgrown and also not using it. I imagine, you know, that in that plethora of choice, sometimes we think it would be a really good idea to invest in X and Y and you find no one's used it for 10 years and it's just sitting there. Do you find a bit of that, Phil, sometimes? Yeah, I, was, I, I think, um, th yeah, there, there's lots of the times where you you concoct the story in your head around, oh, I need this because that's going to be that's going to be crucial. And then sure enough, you go back six months later and no one's used it. Or the system you did implement it is uh, they just modified it. And I think that that's that continuous improvement journey. I mean, I think in, in the choice of a system, couldn't agree more, system like Zero, it's the flexibility to grow. So a lot of the older systems, you would be stuck with what you've got and that is it. Now, zero, there's bolt-ons for things like Expensify or OCR readers, or it's giving all of those tools that were previously for the few are now for the many. And yeah, you, you, you can have credit card integrations, you can have bank reconciliations, all of your pure accounting function can almost be automated with a system like zero. And it will integrate with your point of sale system or your, your restaurant management system or your employee system. Absolutely. And they have to be easy to use too, don't they? I yeah. think it was as you were talking then, I had a, a memory back at um, when I was rolling out large stakeholder engagement processes for, for Woodside and BHP and we had these really detailed customer relationship management systems that relied on engineers entering every time they'd had a meeting and, you know, no one, you'd go to do the analysis to put into government of how many meetings people had had and what they talked about and there was just nothing in there. And we ended up, you know, a really simple card paper system where the guys would have to take a sheet of paper and tick two boxes of what they talked about and hand it back in and then someone else would enter it. It worked. It was really simple, but it actually meant you got the data at the end of it. I think one of the things I would say to you is just have a really big think about what it is, where you're at. So, like, where's your business at and where you want to be and really think about what, what you think you need, like, just in simple terms. Don't get overwhelmed. Like, it's so easy to get overwhelmed by all this stuff out there. Yeah. And you know, people, and people telling you, what and you people need. make you feel yeah. like you're an idiot, and you think you're an idiot, and you don't understand, and 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 you get sold stuff that you don't need. Both business is simple. Most businesses are relatively simple. So just think about simply what it is that you need to do to improve the process and what you're doing, and the key kind of areas like HR, you know, safety, finance across the different different areas of the business, um, and and write that down, and then go and have a look at what is around there. And I think, um, you know, and probably something we haven't touched on too much, although we sort of talked to a, a finance system being at the core of what we do, probably as a business the most important thing is to have those accurate numbers and have them quickly. That's so important, Pete, isn't it? And that's how you make your decisions, because if you can get the numbers out quickly, you know, the story's there. If you've got 10 product lines and one of them's not selling, it's a no-brainer. <laughs> that's not the place you need to be, yeah. Absolutely. And being able to understand and read those systems, so being able to generate the reports that you need in a way that you can actually make clear decisions. Um, because you're right, our systems have to be to either make our lives easier for our people, to enable our products to get to market in an efficient way and that people can actually get the products they need, 
or to understand our businesses. You know, they're the really core essence of why our systems are there. Yeah, yeah. I guess in in the end, if if we're not sort of if if it's not a sustainable business economically, well, you know, it doesn't. You know, you it's of, an expensive hobby. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> to say that about our cheese business we're supplying some great cheese to people but we're sure as hell not making any money from it um wonderful well i think that pretty well covers most of the questions that i wanted to cover kelly is there anything else that we wanted to cover off just based on i guess all we've talked about and we have jumped around a little bit but it is a very complex i guess conversation around systems and i think we've covered some really important um and clear paths and decision-making, because I think that is to imp implement great systems, you have to have really good decision-making processes to know where you need to go and where your business needs to go. Um, from each of you at the panel, just in winding up, if you had to just pick one thing out of sort of today's conversation or in your understanding of systems for a business that you could give as a piece of advice to local other business leaders, what would it be? Um, so, well, I think perhaps, uh, again, and, and, and I don't want to harp on about this, but having that clarity in the vision, values and strategic direction that you want your business to follow, which will then inform the choices you make around the systems and technology that you implement. And you could do a lot worse than looking at uh, a methodology like EOS. Mm, to really clarify and yep. keep that vision in mind. It's a really great point. I think mine just goes back to making sure your people know what they have to do. And that's the most basic form of system. If nothing else, have a position description. Yeah, that's great advice, Danielle. Yeah, I think for me, very much aligned with Peter, strategic vision and then you know, a customer-focused business. If you're a customer-focused business, you're on the path to success. Mm. And delivering to those customers. And then delivering to those yeah, customers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's fantastic advice. Thank you all so, so much. Um, often people think I think of systems as a very dry part of the business. Um, I think today's conversation has shown they are really the backbone and without those really strong, clear sort of, I guess, spine almost of the business, it makes it very, very hard to effectively grow our businesses um, and that the next step of growth is when our back sort of does get into a little bit of pain and, and how we fix it and tweak it to keep it, it growing up. Um, I could keep talking about this for a long time. I think it's an area of business that is so hard to get right, um, but really is the essential part of, of why we're here and how we do grow. So thank you all very, very much. Um, we'll close out now. Um, so thank you everyone online for listening, uh, very much appreciated. Uh, the podcast will go live on Monday. Um, so for those of you who missed little bits or wanted to, uh, to catch up on some of the conversation, please feel free. And as always, all of the other topics we've discussed that fit so nicely into some of the things we've touched on today are available um, at Set the Month in Motion on any podcast station. So thanks again, everyone.